I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. All the people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's the end of the quarter as we know it. A quarter that started off with a whimper and then continued to whimper, with the exception of some techs and some domestic small cap stocks. But other than the occasional day like today where the Dow gained 119 points and the S&P advanced 0.19%, while the Nasdaq declined 0.26%, this has not been a great three months. And I wonder what the last days of the quarter are really going to hold for us. Now, I want to make one thing very clear. If you think President Trump has gotten aggressive on trade, fighting back just about everyone, you ain't seen nothing yet. Trump's fixated on autos, steel, aluminum, tech, and intellectual property. He made it clear today that big tariffs are coming for autos, and I believe that they will include cars made by foreign companies in Mexico. NAFTA be damned! Here's the thing. The president believes we've seen remarkable job creation for many of the things he's doing, including the uh, steel and aluminum tariffs. So in his view, the policy's working. I think he's about to ban any acquisitions whatsoever by the Chinese in order to protect American intellectual property, and that will shock people. And for the same reason, I bet he'll demand that China truly open its markets and stop forcing U.S. companies to form joint ventures if they want to do business with the People's Republic, because those joint ventures have been ways to steal intellectual property from us. So you need to prepare yourself for more combative tweets. You have to expect there can be no rapprochement, no truth. The way the president sees it, given our amazingly low unemployment rate, we'll never have a better opportunity to fight back on these unfair trade practices. Be prepared for him to try to tear up NAFTA. Dismiss the notion that there are two camps of this administration, a hard line and a soft line. In truth, there are only hardliners. And whatever the actual merits of these policies, the stock market hates them. So if you can handle all of this, if you don't mind the implications, then you'll be able to handle the vicissitudes of the next quarter. If you cannot handle the pain... The house of pain. If you think these issues will take a long time to resolve, then you know what we're going to do next week? Sell, 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 sell. You're going to raise cash, okay? That's what you're going to do. Don't fight me about this. Raise some cash. You'll thank me later if you're one of the people who doesn't like the policy and thinks it's going to go on forever. With that in mind, what is the game plan for next week for the final week of the quarter? Well, Monday morning we hear from Carnival, the cruise line that's become a real battleground stock. Not that long ago we pulled up with Carnival's amazing CEO, Arnold Donald, and he talked about strong bookings, no pricing softness despite lots of new ships coming on, and a bright vacation future, okay? Against that, we have a lot of nervous investors who fear that there are too many ships coming on and not enough passengers at a time when fuel costs are rising. At least we won't have to wait very long to find out who's right. And by the way, after hours, this stock traded up dramatically this very evening. Usually I don't like to see that, frankly. What are they trading off of? 
On Tuesday, we get results from Lennar, one of the best home builders and certainly the largest. And while I've gotten bearish in the group, no secret there, because of higher raw costs and rising interest rates, at some point, these stocks will be too cheap to ignore. With Lennar, we need to see the reaction to the conference call, not the headlines. Lennar, last time they reported an excellent quarter, it meant nothing. People were worried about the lumber tariff from Canada. I'm betting that they find a way to spin the story positively in the call, and it could have an impact. However, with two more rate hikes in the cards this year and no end to those Canadian tariffs, I think any bounce will be short-lived. Wednesday, tough one, General Mills. Here's the stock that's down nearly 24%. This used to be the most steady eddy of them all, and it now yields 4.36%. I like the risk reward here, but I liked it at four points higher, so maybe you think I don't know what I'm doing. But I do think they'll say good things about Blue Buffalo acquisition, which happens to be the exact food that Amgen and NVIDIA eat. Sometimes they answer to Bug and to Everest, but that's because they're dumb as a bag of hammers. We also hear from longtime Kramer fave Paychex. And while stock has lagged behind arch rival ADP, the fact is that this payroll processor should thrive in an environment with ultra-low unemployment and rising short-term interest rates and job creation. Next up, Bed Bath & Beyond, BBBY. The last time Bed Bath reported its stock got crushed, but it's bounced back as part of the big domestic retail rally that seemed to stall out today, by the way. My view, Bed Bath better have some real good things to say, or this one's going right back to 1650. We have some potentially exciting stories on Thursday, starting with new Dow entrant Walgreens Boots Alliance, which will officially replace GE next week. Walgreens and CVS have been moving up of late, and there's been talk that both drugstores are taking action to protect themselves from the Death Star. Amazon. I'll believe when I see it. That said, Walgreens is way off its highs, uh, highs and it's only six bucks off its lows, so if they get it together... Then there's Accenture. Do not put the symbol in. It's symbols A-C-N, but because of spell check, it always comes out C-A-N like can, okay? Not like con, where we had a lot of people last week, but can. Uh, this is an information technology consultant, and it's an outsourcer. That's one of my favorite companies. However, as much as I adore these guys, and I do, the stock almost always runs up into the quarter and then sells off, even though the numbers tend to be excellent. That pattern holds. You'll likely get another buying opportunity on Thursday. We heard today some chatter. And the chatter is that ConAgra, symbol CAG, might be restarting its takeover talks with Pinnacle Foods. Now, ConAgra stock has been a rare winner in the supermarket, and it loves the frozen food aisle. Why? Because millennials shop there. They love frozen food. Pinnacle could augment their extensive freezer presence, and we know CEO Sean Connolly is a seasoned deal maker. Uh, I think you could win either way. Earnings or acquisitions? I think the stocks buy. Pinnacle, by the way, owns Birdseye. Speaking of better-performing food stocks, check out McCormick when it reports Thursday morning. This extremely well-run spice maker rarely misses. I bet this time will be no different, which is why I always keep Old Bay on the set. After the close, we get the quarter of the week, which is going to be Nike. And it's incredible to me that despite all the hectoring between the U.S. and China, Nike's name rarely comes up as a target of tariffs or boycotts. There are tons of good apparel investments here, but Nike and Under Armour are very strong, and they have my blessing. Google, hey, Google Hector and Nike, because yeah, got a little bullfinch going in there. Thursday, also the day we get the same stress test uh, report cards that will allow the well-graded banks to immediately boost their buybacks or get in there and start being aggressive. I think City, letter C, will get the best grades, and it's going to be buying stock hand over fist. The bank stocks tend to outperform the market after we get these results. They've been great performers in the second half, so I expect the analysts to go nuts about them on Friday. So what would I do? I would buy City on Wednesday.
and I buy it aggressively, as we will for my charitable trust. If we get a chance, you can follow along at actionholdersplus.com club. Finally, on Friday, Constellation Brands, STZ reports. And there's a ton of worry that beer has slowed down, even for the top-notch maker of Corona, Modelo, and Pacifico, as well as some very high-end wines and whiskeys. I don't know if you know High West. It's pretty good. Do you know Casa Noble Tequila? Prisoner wine. Um, now, my charitable trust owns STZ. Uh, we know there are a lot of nervous bulls in the analyst community who are worried about the category far more than they're actually worried about Constellation, which had the added advantage of Cinco de Mayo falling on a Saturday this year. Hey, I know from Bar San Miguel in Brooklyn that that was a date to, that you could crush it if you sold beer. It mattered. I'm actually more concerned about the wine sales. That category has been challenged, too. The one thing I'm not worried about, though, is the company's investment in canopy growth. The 7.2 billion Canadian marijuana business, we had them on recently, Constellation paid $191 million for 9.9% stake that's now worth more than $600 million, plus warrants, which give Constellation Brands the option to purchase an additional ownership interest in the future. Really smart. I know many of you believe in the marijuana bull market, which is why we're bringing you on Green Thumb Industries tonight. Get a better sense of the industry. Here's the bottom line. The next week ends the quarter with that, I think, will be a series of vicious trade salvos. Keep that in mind before you buy anything. And if you fear the president's bellicose tweets, you should use Monday to do some selling. And it might be some very strong carryover action from today. Let's go to Roy in New York. Roy. A big booyah, Professor Kramer, from Roy, actually in Las Vegas. I'll give you a Telemundo football <laughs> booyah. What's up? All right. How you doing today, amigo? I'm doing okay. I don't know. Like, I think I ate something bad this morning. You didn't feel good for most of the day. But that's probably a lot more than you need. What's up? Yeah, no, no problem. Hey, listen, I first want to just say thank you for all of your great advice to us home gamers. You've made me some good money on... Lots of stocks, including your old uh, dog stop in the NVIDIA. Which one? NVIDIA. NVIDIA. Is a oh, NVIDIA. NVIDIA. Look, you know, people are mad at me because NVIDIA had a down day. I mean, look, I, I put the picture of NVIDIA up and said it's going to be a couple bad days. Oh, that's yeah, not the question. I'm sorry, but I thought we were talking about my dog. No, Go no. ahead. My, my, real, my real question was about uh, Raytheon. I established a, a nice little basis at uh, 207 in mid-February. It, it rocketed up to 229, and then we had the, the talks with North Korea, and it's now, I'm down about seven and a half points. So just wondering where you think I should go. All ahead right, this is a great question because I talked it over with Je Jeff and Zeb today because they are uh, with me, research people on action alerts to the club. And I said, listen, we got to stand there and buy this Raytheon RTN. Why? Because it is down so big, 229. It's still up from 159, but I think it's the best. I know every defense contractor has been selling off since Korea. I don't care. Raytheon's a buy, and thank you for the kind comments. Remember, beware of escalating trade issues before you do any buying next week. I want you to be comfortable with them. Doesn't mean I'm saying don't own stocks. I just need you to be comfortable. I don't want you panicked. Mad Money tonight. Red Hat just had its worst day since 2016 after lowering the, the guidance when it reported last night. I'm going to talk with the CEO to find out if maybe the drop could be a buying opportunity or it could be a red flag. Then trying to get in on the cannabis craze, I'm eyeing a player in the space that's on a weed-to-know basis. <laughs> and are the bulls driving in the wrong direction? Pull out your map. I'm going to help you navigate. And stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. No sugar coating. Last night we heard from Red Hat, the leading purveyor of open source software. It's become a major player in the cloud, as well as being a longtime Kramer fave. And the company cut its guidance, which was a bit of a shocker. Now, I've been telling you that this stock tends to sell off even after good quarters, but today it plummeted $23 or 14%. Ouch. So what went wrong? Red Hat actually reported a nice top and bottom line beat with solid 20% revenue growth, but management's guidance for both the next quarter and the full year was a little bit disappointing for the analysts, thanks to a slowdown in their middleware business and some tough competition. That hurts. When a company with a high-flying stock disappoints, it's going to get obliterated. Remember, though, Red Hat's been on fire lately, and even with today's sh- shellacking, it's still up 18.5% year-to-date, and they're pretty much sticking by what they said they could do, but this next quarter will be tough. How worried should we be? Look, we have to be concerned after this drop, but this is a company that's done well for investors over many years. And we may have seen this movie before, and it ended happily. Back in December of 2016, Red Hat disappointed, and stock fell from $79 to $68. Bucks. But then we had CEO Jim Whitehurst on the show, and he made a compelling case for the long-term story here. Since then, the stock has more than doubled. So did Red Hat merely hit a speed bump here and will use a $1 billion buyback announced last night to buy stock with both hands? Or is the company crashed headfirst into a retaining wall while traveling at 100 miles per hour? Let's dig deeper with Jim Whitehurst. He's the president and CEO of Red Hat to get some context on what's happening here. Mr. Whitehurst, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. It's great to be back. Jim, you deserve this because you've been on the show many times. Uh, if you could do your conference call over, would there be some things you would change? You know, f- frankly, not really. I mean, if I could change anything, I would uh, I- encourage investors to look long term. You know, we've told investors uh, time and time again over the last 10 years that billings can be volatile. The last time I was on, if you recall, we had kind of light billings quarter and the stock dropped a lot then. And then uh, obviously it's doubled since then. So, you know, we don't manage the billings because they're not a great indicator of the uh, health of the company. And so because analysts look at billings, that creates some volatility. And we just learned to live with that. Now, the quarter itself was very strong. Uh, It was the forecast. And so I found myself thinking, what could happen during a quarter that made it so that when you got to the forecast, it was markedly different from what people thought what you might might be able to get? Yeah, you know, I think what happened, and we spent a lot of time speaking with analysts afterwards as well, we delivered exactly what we said we would deliver. And in the follow-ups with analysts, we went through that fact. And, you know, even after our analyst day that we did a couple months ago, the stock ran up quite a a bit. And I think there was this sense that even though we had said this was what we're going to perform like, I think there was a sense that uh, we were going to kind of beat and raise the way we did last year. And, you know, we had a really great year last year, which creates tough comps. And so we said what we would do. We delivered that. We reaffirmed guidance for the year other than pulling down for currency. 
Uh, but I think there was a sense that we were going to really blow it out, and frankly, we just delivered what we said we'd deliver. Uh, it's funny and you I think that, that created a bit uh, of disappointment. I was speaking to one of my tech friends who said, listen, Jim, it, they didn't beat and raise. They're a beat and raise company. They didn't beat and raise. But I want to go to a Jeffrey's report because I want to be sure these numbers are correct. They talked about how new, new sub annual contract value declined by nearly 30% by our calculation, uh, due primarily to what management believes is temporary softness. But is that the right calculation? Yeah, that, that's a kind of a, a an odd calculation that people are looking at the the data and trying to segment pieces out. What's driven, uh, I think, some odd uh, results is that, and we've said this, two years ago we started saying we were focused on getting large three-year deals with our customers. Right. So we kind of locked them up for their core product, and then we'd work on selling them net new business. Well, we started doing that two years ago. So we've had two years where we've tried to lock up customers in multi-year deals. So by the time we get to year three, and we've told the street this, our renewal base is quite a bit lower. And so with the lower renewal base of the big, you know, RHEL, Red Hat Linux deals, you know, we're out there selling new business either to those customers or to others. And new deals, you know, net new are always start off smaller. So, yeah, the average deal size, it can be a bit smaller. But recognize our deals over a million dollars grew 65% year over year. So even though some of those huge deals, you know, that were multi-year deals didn't happen because we've already renewed them. Mm -hmm. We still grew our million-dollar deals by 65% year over year. All right, so let's go over the, uh, let, the the competitive space. I know that Amazon's making some changes that would make it so that if someone used, wants to use Amazon Web Services, it might freeze the market a little bit. Try to put Red Hat versus that. Are you noticing a competitive change there? And also, you talked about Oracle and IBM on another part of your business, saying that they are being very competitive. Are these new dynamics that we must be concerned of more than just a short term? Well, I think the dynamic that we talked about, which is a long term, is around our traditional middleware. So Red Hat has two components of middleware, which is kind of the glue that developers use to glue applications together. There's the old world Java piece of that, and then there's a whole lot of net new frameworks. And we play in both spaces. In that old world, where we've traditionally taken share from IBM and Oracle, right. um, there's not a lot happening there. And so what's happening is IBM and Oracle have just reduced prices to keep from eroding that business. And you know, the vast majority of our effort is in the new pieces of middleware. And we're seeing great traction there. But there is this little bit of a decline in the growth rate of the old stuff as the new stuff is accelerating. And that together has caused our middleware growth to moderate. Now, that we expected that. We talked to Analyst Day a couple months ago that we expected that to happen. And we're seeing great traction with the new stuff, which is really driving a lot of, of incremental growth for us. You know, look, I am loath to ever contradict you because you have been so great and the, the amount of money that your company has made for our viewers is extraordinary. But when I went over the May analyst meeting, I did sense that there had been a, a bit of uh, there was buoyancy there that I didn't get on this conference call. And one of them was, let me just point out the type of thing I felt. Uh, Eric Shander at one point, he was saying, uh, he was talking to somebody, he goes, we're, uh, what we've been saying is we're pretty comfortable that our, our HAL, the enterprise, is going to be growing in double digits. And we've been saying low teens, and certainly 11% is a number we're happy with. Now, Jim, I was not happy with that. You were happy with it, and that surprised me. I would have said, and we wish to do better. 
Well, look, uh, you know, it's one quarter. And again, when we know when these big renewals are happening, um, you know, I certainly uh, think that we believe that we'll see better numbers through the course of this year with that. So in this quarter, I think that's kind of where we were expecting that to end up. I certainly think as we look forward and we know when and how the, the larger renewals and growth around those will happen, mm-hmm. we'll certainly be looking to continue to drive that growth rate higher. So again, this is when we talked about we provided guidance, we were talking about for the year. And so in quarters and Q1's our seasonably lowest quarter versus for the year where we reaffirmed our guidance. I think there may be a little bit of a disconnect there between what analysts were looking for in a quarter versus what we were talking about for the year. And could it be perhaps related to some of the large telco relationships? You said there weren't many this quarter, but you did feel very confident, solid relationships. I thought that maybe that was something that could be shifted later to the year. Yeah, so what's happened with those is we've made a lot of traction as telcos look to roll out 5G, and we're in the early days of those. And, you know, those are large, large handfuls of telcos. It's not hundreds. And we have great relationships, and we've signed up most of the large telcos around the world. Those just happen to have mainly fallen in Q3 and Q4. So we're doing a lot of work. I've, been, I've had multiple conversations with some of the large telcos this past quarter, but it's all about implementations for things that we did in, um, last year. And so we certainly expect those to renew and continue to grow in Q3 and Q4. But again, those just aren't a Q1 uh, set of opportunities for well, us. Well, excellent, Jim. I'm so glad you came on. You know, the stock was down and it's made a, it's been up very, very big. We should never forget that. I want to thank you so much, Jim Whiters, President and CEO of Red Hat. It has been a huge, huge winner. There was a hiccup. Let's see what happens. Stay with Kramer. As the prohibitions against cannabis go up in smoke and stay after state, investors are smelling opportunity. At least I think that's the smell of opportunity. They're definitely smelling something, unless, of course, like Bill Clinton, they never inhaled. Look, we've got an incredible bull market in marijuana. I've been following these companies for a long time. And even though some of the publicly traded pot plays have gotten overheated, it's important to get our heads around the so-called green rush because it's real. So tonight, I want to introduce you to another cannabis cultivator. It's called Green Thumb Industries, which just executed a reverse takeover earlier this month and it started trading in Canada. Here's a company that grows, processes, and sells ganja through dispensaries, including concentrates and topicals and edibles. They now have seven manufacturing facilities and operate 13 retail locations under the Rise Dispensaries brand, but they have licenses to open uh, as many as 50 stores. Basically, they're both a retailer and a wholesale. I like this business model. And look, Green Thumb is growing like, well, a weed. The thing is, this whole cord is, cord is expensive, and I worry that legalization cuts both ways, as uh, prices tend to plummet once states decide to get rid of pot prohibition entirely. Still, it's an intriguing story, so let's take a closer look with Ben Culver. He's the founder and chairman of Green Thumb Industries. To learn more about his company and its prospects, Mr. Culver, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Have a seat. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Okay, Ben, so tell us how big the opportunity is and uh, why you've decided to go integrated uh, and what you see the problem prospects are, say, three, five years. Jim, thank you. We think this is a major opportunity. According to Colin, it's a $75 billion U.S. opportunity. And when we look out there, we see Canada, that is a $8 to $10 billion revenue opportunity, trading at about $30 billion. And the U.S. right now is $5 billion or less. So that is the major opportunity as the world changes for cannabis. Uh, You are a first mover. How do we know that bigger companies won't get involved? Or is it one of those things where they'll never touch it because it's not in their DNA? 
Oh, no, they'll touch it. Right now, there is a moat around our business, both in the states and the country. The federal prohibition provides a moat around our business for us to execute. So us going public in Canada allows us access to capital, drives down that cost of capital to build scale in these markets because everybody wants in. Let's be real. Right. There is a huge demand for this. The alcohol companies are seeing it, and you've seen evidence of them paying attention. Now, how do we know? My daughter lives in Oregon. Uh, they ripped up a lot of Pinot Noir fields, planted a lot of pot. Next thing you know, the prices went through the floor. How can you protect yourself against something like that? Great question. We think brands distributed at scale is how to win, and brands have pricing power. So we believe as the price of the commodity comes down, the brands have pricing power. We've seen that. That's the price of the hops or the barley going right. down, where the price of the branded liquor maintains pricing power. You have a lot of people working for you in a lot of different facilities. Where are they? And uh, where do you see these 50? You've got some, but where are the other 50, the, uh, the rest of the 50 going to be? Uh, we have an amazing team. We have over 350 employees with GTI right now, and that's amazing. Uh, our highest growth market coming new is going to be Florida which is a 21 million person state that is just opening up. Uh, but we have people all around the country. Our headquarters are in Chicago, and we're running the business like a branded CPG business. Okay. Where we have a central headquarters where we can centralize and get scale as we distribute product. Now, at one point, Jim Beam, great company, had a, a vision and they made a fortune. Uh, what's the alcohol situation for pot? Well, Jim, we think uh, that's quite a coincidence you bring that up. We don't think history repeats. We think history rhymes. And right now, where we think brands distributed at scale in cannabis is going to be very similar to what happened in alcohol. And so we think the brands in alcohol is what won there. We think the same thing is going to happen in cannabis. And what's happening in our stores every day are people are drinking moonshine. And they're walking in and we're saying, you know what? A beam and Coke would really taste good. And they're saying, honey, check this out. And then what about a Pinot Noir? And that's the equivalent of an edible or a tincture or a vape. And so we're opening the world's, op opening the world's eyes to a brand new opportunity. Uh, demographic of users? All over the place. Our largest growth segment is 55 and over and female. 55 and over. So there are people who obviously do not want to take opiates, who know it's better for them, and know it's not addictive, and can't really figure out what the heck's going wrong with this country, that the pill pushers give you stuff that could kill you, and this doesn't even make you addicted. Exactly. Come into a Rise dispensary, and you can have a better night's sleep. You can relieve yourself of pain or have a nice night out. No calories, no hangover. Uh, balance sheet? Strong to very strong. Uh, sense that uh, there will be states that are going to come on in the next, say, 18 months that we're not thinking about yet? Well, everybody's thinking about them as falling cannabis. So Everything. Ohio just awarded. We won five stores. And everybody's focused on New Jersey, which is where we are right now, where the applications are about to come out and new winners are going to come. And in the meantime, can Governor Cuomo really take all those people going to Massachusetts? Doesn't he have to do it here, too? Well, we'll see. We'll see legislation, you know, move towards people right. getting jealous of tax dollars coming to other states. Wow. Well, I got to tell you, you got a great plan, and I know our viewers care. I want you to do some work on it, uh, but I believe this industry is very real, which is why we keep having people we go, on. I just wanted to say happy birthday to my dad. Booyah, ski daddy. Why not? There we go. That's Ben Culver. Happy birthday to Mr. Culver. He's the founder and chairman of Green Thumb Ministries. Mad Money's back after the break. Thank Thanks, you so Jim. much. Yeah. market better be careful what it wishes for, or the buyers better reset the algorithms. Because right now, it looks like the bulls hope oil will go higher. But in three weeks, that's exactly the opposite of what they're going to want to hear. 
This morning, OPEC agreed to boost its output by 600,000 barrels, which was less than we were expecting. So the price of crude spiked, and bizarrely enough, that caused the stock market to rally. The averages were flying until the president tweeted that the European Union might be hit with a 20% tariff on all of their exports here if they don't tear down their own tariff barriers. I'm really speaking about autos. All right, well, that was the last thing the market wanted to hear. Still, we managed to recover most of our gains. However, as we head into earnings season next month, there are three things that really worry me. One, slowing revenues from the end, or at least the pause, in the synchronized global economic expansion. Two, the stronger dollar, which is a very different story from the last quarter and is really bad news for American exports. And three, rising raw costs from tariffs and, more important, higher oil prices. Of these three issues, oil was the only one where I thought things could swing in our favor. If the Saudis decide to start pumping a lot more. That could take the crude down to 60 bucks a barrel below, which would save the major oil, uh, save major oil for consumers. Uh, it would save them a fortune. It would save the producers a fortune. But that's not what happened. President Trump tweeted that he wanted a bigger production boost, but he didn't get it. I shouldn't have to spell this stuff out, but higher oil prices are bad for the economy and bad for the stock market long term. Yet somehow the stock market bulls were cheered by higher oil, which is just plain stupid. We've seen this correlation before, but from much lower levels, mostly when crude was in the 30s and 40s. Back then, we wanted to see higher prices, which would be a sign that the economy wasn't slipping back into recession and the oil producers weren't going into bankruptcy. That made sense. But from these heights, come on, any stock market bull should want oil lower, not higher. People are already fretting about rising raw costs. This just makes the problem worse. In fact, we should be very concerned that the Saudis won't even deliver on their promised output boost because with Saudi Aramco coming public next year, they have every incentive to keep prices elevated. Look, I think it's crazy that we rallied on today's news flow. We should have gone down, and not just because of oil. Red Hat, important player in the migration of the cloud, cut its guidance last night. Its stock got pulverized today. The idea that the Trump administration has any moderates left on trade diminishes by the day. When it comes to tariffs, this might as well be Peter Navarro administration. It baffles me how we still see stories about softliners in the White House. Who writes these pieces? Going into a weekend where there'll be tons of trade tensions and the president seems to be content to let them brew. This is not a recipe for a rally, people. The only thing that the bulls really have going for them is that we're getting oversold and the Dow been down for eight straight days. Otherwise, the inputs point south, not north. I think the drivers have the wrong directions. Maybe they turned the map upside down. And if you're going along for the ride, you need to know that the navigation is very, very off. Remember, at the end of the day, earnings matter. And you know what, what hurts earnings? Tariffs and rising raw costs, like higher energy. If you're a bull here, you should want to see oil down, some conciliatory attitude toward tariffs, and less incendiary language from the White House. Until we get these things, I simply can't be as sanguine as I'd like about the market, not the policy, which I've said is necessary, even as I feel lonely being circumspect on a day like this one, where the buyers are practically frothing at the market to buy all stocks. George in California, George. Hey, Jim, I uh, got into the field of uh, oil and gas refining and marketing with a lot of homework and, of course, following your instructions in your books. The things took off like a, like a, with no tomorrow, like a rocket. Right. And I even had some more, incrementally speaking, and now all of a sudden it's gone south and it's become very volatile. It's HFC, Holly Frontier. Can you I would me? not worry about Holly Frontier. I think the differential between the Permian and all the other places in this country could make it so it's still fantastic for the refineries. You're in a good one. I'd stick with it. Sandro in Illinois. Sandro. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. Big fan of your show. Thank you. Um, um, my stock is Marathon Oil Corporation, ticker symbol MRO. 
Um, Rishi built a position in Marathon Oil, thinking about increasing the position. Now, to my question, do you think that the stock will continue to move? With yes, the I do. Actually, I was doing prices, some work on Marathon or? Oil this week. I think it's a very fine company, and I think you're in good company, and it will go higher. Let's go to TJ in Georgia. TJ. Hey, uh, Jim. Uh, thank you for taking my call uh, in Stone Mountain, Georgia. But uh, my interest is um, I've been following uh, oil drilling companies, and with the uh, – like the resurgence, you know, of oil drilling, deep sea oil drilling, Transocean, R-I-G is the simple. I know Transocean. I've got to tell you, I want to go with Schlumberger. My Chapel Trust owns Schlumberger. It's down from the highs. Really great balance sheet. Buying back stock. Worldwide attitude going to be terrific 2019. That's the one you want to be in. Let's not take undue risk in the oil service business. I think it's time for the drivers of this market to ask for directions. My map says south, and theirs is apparently reading north. Much more man money hit. What do we do with utilities now that the interest rate environment is paused? I'm sitting down with the CEO of Entergy. Low-cost producer gets some answers. Plus, oil calls rapid fire to that's just a lightning round. And a look back at the week that was. So stick with Kramer. It is time. It's time for the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Close your mind. We'll start with Matt in Florida. Matt. Hey, Pirate Booyah from Tampa, Florida. Kramer. Oh, man. Sorry about that quarterback situation, but we do get to play in the second game. What's up? Hey, I own some Gilead uh, G-I-L-D. Keep it or flush Too it. Too cheap, too low to sell. I don't have a catalyst, but sometimes you get catalysts when your stock's that low and that good a balance sheet. Let's go to Steve, my home state in New Jersey. Steve. What's happening, Jim? Thanks for taking the call and your 25 years of market wisdom. Thank you, oh, my man. You're the man. Thank you. Thank um, you. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that your friend Larry Cubbo's coming back to work soon, too. Yes, isn't listen. that great? Isn't yeah, that great? Hi, Larry. Together. I know I, I had a nice email from him this week. I'm really hopeful. Good deal. Together, as far as I'm concerned, you two are America's financial oh, overlords. So thank, thank you very you. much for being there. Listen, speaking of feeling well, I'd like to talk marijuana stock to you. You set me straight on Aurora and Canopy. What's going on with Kronos? Symbol you know, C-R-O-N. I don't know Kronos well enough because I don't think it's as good to me. You're getting a really interesting opportunity to buy Canopy on the way down here. Down three bucks today. I think that's attractive. Let's go to John in Florida. John. Hello, Jim. It's John Kay and Dunedin. Hey, John from Dunedin. How you been, partner? Okay. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Jim. Same. Jim, Jim uh, I'd like to know your opinion on Trust Company, Bancorp, Very, very good company. Very good. I'm going to say it's one of the good ones. It's right in this environment. You can own it, John. Thank you. Let's go to Hannah in New York. Hannah. Hi, Jim. Yeah. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on CRISPR Therapeutics, symbol C R. All right, this is this is uh, a very very exciting gene-based company. Now it is incredibly speculative, but I'm going to bless it as long as you understand that. Let's go to Stephen in Delaware. Stephen, happy Friday, booyah! All right, I'll take it. Well, what's your take on Iron Mountain? I-R-S. Consistent real estate investment ah, trust that ah, yields. Ah, ah, ah. Uh, that's got a nice yield that I think is that I think is okay. Let's go to Julian in Georgia. Julian. Hey, Jim. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I wanted to know what you think about Snapchat. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's room. I, it, it, there's room there. Uh, I, I like, you know, my Chapel Trust owns Facebook. I, I think Twitter's better. 
and then there's Snap. I don't like that kind of ownership. I did a corporate governance conference recently for the deal, and I didn't like the way that that stock, it, you have totally disenfranchised shareholders. That's just something I don't go for. Let's go to Roger in Maryland. Roger. Hey, Prudential and several peers near a 52-week low. Why is that? Is it a buy, sell, or hold? I think I've people don't take. like the yield curve in Prudential. I happen to think Prudential is a very fine company, and I, I have been recommending it for years and years and years. Uh, when it's down, it's down. I'm recommending it. Let's go to Frank in Michigan. Frank. Hello, Jim. I'd like your viewpoint on a major lithium producer, Albemarle, symbol ALB. I like Albemarle. Look at the thing has been killed. It's down 20, 27%. I mean, I, if you're not going to step up here, you're never going to step up. I'm okay with it. Let's go to Phil in Michigan. Phil. Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you, Phil? Great. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at Carbonite. C-A-R-B. Yeah, to me, it's too much of a commodity to the data protection business. I'm not going to go there. I want to go to Omar in Texas, though. Omar. Hey, Jim. Booyah from Houston, man. How you doing? I am good. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good, man. I just wanted to touch base with you on a stock that I'm holding called uh, Valiant Pharmaceuticals. Yeah, Valiant going to downgrade today. That's why the stock was going down. Joe Papa's doing a magnificent job. But you know what? It's okay for a stock to, to cool off. I think down two boxes when you want to pull the trigger, not before oh, that. And that. Oh, no, we're so not done. It's scary. Let's go to Bob in New York. Bob. Uh, hello, uh, Mr. Kramer. Uh, Jim, I was wondering if this financial company has regained their reputation since the financial crisis, and is it worth a purchase? And that company is Moody's Corporation. You bet it has, and it is indeed worth a purchase. It is a very fine company, and I like it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I want to give up nice. a Red Hawk. Booyah! We would buy growth on a boat. We would buy growth with a goat. We would buy growth in a box. We will buy growth from a fox. I'm Jim Cramer. So can this thing keep climbing? I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise. This thing is ugly. They're, they're in Europe. Fibonacci ratios. This series of numbers is covered by the medieval godfather of mathematics that repeat over and over and over again in nature. You're feeling glum? Go sell some glum. I'm throwing a pizza party with my closest robot friends. I need a glum button. Oh, I have one. Whiff. Let me bust this. I, I, I laughed. It was too funny. Not long ago, investors wanted nothing to do with slow and steady dividend stocks. The economy was roaring, interest rates were rising, and so these defensive stocks were very much out of favor in the Wall Street fashion show, especially utilities. Now, though, people are worried about a worldwide slowdown, and long-term interest rates have pulled back substantially from their highs. So is it time to get some utility exposure? Take Entergy, which has begun to bounce in recent weeks. In fact, they did a big secondary offering to clean up their balance sheet a little bit over two weeks ago. And if you got in this deal, you're up a quick five bucks. Now, Energy has a big power generation, transmission, and distribution business down in the deep south, along with a sizable wholesale power generation business, including some nukes. And the stock sports a juicy 4.44% yield. Just yesterday, Energy held an analyst 
analysts, day in New York City, try to drum up a little extra interest here and get some renewed support. What did the company tell them? Well, let's take a closer look with Leo Donaldi. He's the chairman and CEO of Entergy and find out what his company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Donaldi, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Leo. Have Good a seat. Good to see you. All right, so what was the message that you gave to people? Because obviously it's being well-received and the stock is really moving here. Well, basically what we're telling them is that the, the quest we've been on for the last several years to get to basics, to grow our utility business, is on track. Right. We've got a significant amount of investment that we can do in the Gulf South. We're upgrading the technology across our entire fleet in the generating fleet, transmission, and distribution system. And largely we have regulatory approval to move forward with all of the projects that we're building right now. That should help us grow our business for our customers. They create a better environmental footprint, lower production costs, but at the same point in time, it's the driver of earnings growth. Well, in the business. presentation, which is terrific, you got five big plants coming, uh, and it seemed to me that your area has got to be one with all of the building and those low costs for natural gas and oil. Yes. You must be one of the biggest boom areas in the country. It is. We've got tremendous industrial growth that we've had over the last decade almost. Ever since the financial crisis, we've had at least 4% compound annual growth rate in our top-line sales to industrial customers. We've got ethane crackers, we've got LNG export terminals, new steel mills that have come online, and we continue to see favorable economics in the commodity markets, low electricity prices right. provided by us, low natural gas prices, and actually that ratio of oil to natural gas is important in some of those export-minded right companies that are making natural gas-based products in the Gulf South and they're competing overseas with oil-based kind of right. Commodities. Well, you do have a chart. The chart shows you're the lowest cost for low customer rates there is. Yes, yeah, we have been out of the investor-owned utility sector. We have been the lowest cost for a couple of years in a row. That's a combination of the new assets that we're putting in right. place all run more efficiently, so they burn a lot less natural gas, right. they have less emissions, so that's a lower production cost for our customers. We've been very good about keeping a lid on our costs, right. like a lot of companies are, and that low natural gas price has helped, plus the industrial growth, those new plants, we're spreading our rate levels over a larger right. number of megawatt hours, and these are big facilities. As you know, you've been down there. Oh, my God. It's They're cool. multi-billion dollar just... projects that use a lot of electricity. No, it, but it, it, there's just, you have a lot of greenfield construction more than any other part of the country. They all are natural users of your new yes. Um, energy. Yes, and one of the benefits of having those low prices that a lot of companies that would go into a region and generate electricity themselves, co-generate, they right. don't in our service territory because our price point is so low. Okay, can you explain to me uh, your nuclear strategy, because it, it, or explain to our viewers, because it is a little difficult to understand. Sure, it's, and I wouldn't think of it as a nuclear strategy. Okay. It's really a merchant power strategy. Yes. So yes. it just so happens that a number of our nuclear plants are in merchant markets. Those are restructured markets where it's a competitive environment, and the price of power is set on a minute-by-minute -minute basis based on the, what's the marginal unit of, of power at that point in time. Uh, it's just not price competitive in those markets for us to operate those plants. And so we're having to shut those down. So the technology is solid. The plants are well run. We have great employees at those plants. It's just a fact that economics um, say we would lose hundreds of millions of dollars by continuing to operate them. So we've got an orderly shutdown of those plants. We've eliminated a lot of the risk by pre-selling a lot of the output from them. So to strip the volatility out of the top mm -hmm. line got the operations that we're, we're making sure that we continue to operate to excellence all the way to the shutdown. And the other thing we've done is we've actually taken a position where the employees at those plants, they're primarily in New York, Massachusetts, right. Vermont, and Michigan, that the employees at those plants, we're going to 
try to find them jobs at our plants and other areas in the Gulf South because of that business is growing so fast. All right. Now, 10 uh, percent legacy coal, uh, huge uh, growing renewables. Uh, yes. President likes coal. Uh, yeah. A lot of people, especially younger people, like renewables, uh, yeah. which can you add more coal or is that just something that's we're not, we're not going to be. It's not economic for us to add more coal. The, the new natural gas plants are so efficient and so low cost and the natural gas plants we're building, the big ones, St. Charles, Lake Charles, Montgomery County, those are all identical facilities one year apart. That was all done on purpose to manage the risk around those. But they're so efficient and so low cost that coal can't compete with those. They're also a much better environmental outcome. So if you look at our fleet, we are one of the cleanest fleets in the United States from an emission standpoint. A significant amount of nuclear power right. in our Gulf South utilities, mm -hmm. and those aren't going anywhere. Right. The new natural gas plants are 40% cleaner in terms of CO2 wow. emissions than the ones they replace. A growing renewable base as well will keep us on that track to actually continue to improve. You know, we were the first utility in the United States to voluntarily limit our greenhouse gas emissions back in 2001. And we set those at our 2000 levels. And then in 2011, we upped that to 20 percent below our 2000 levels. And we've continued to beat that all along. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because younger viewers who watch want that more than yeah. anything. Yeah. Well, you've done a great job, Leo. That's Leo Donaldi. He's the chairman and CEO of Energy Corp, low-cost producer and one of the fastest growers. That's how you make money in utilities. Man, money's back after the break. I want to be clear, I think that oil and oil stocks are now going higher. That was the roadblock. It's out of the way. I think oil could see 70. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I see you Monday. I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then.